I think that's the way the movie wants us to look at this gift that Louise is given is that, you know, we all know our life in that same sense that, you know, you and I were both going to be dead someday. And I think along the way, maybe we'll lose like loved ones or we'll lose friends or we'll um, do really nice things. You know, we have really nice experiences. There's going to be uh, joy and pleasure and fun and less fun things you know that's kind of we we all have you know the path of life is already laid out in like these broad strokes and so the i think the more more sort of message here is to just embrace that in its fullness and not try to shrink down from life in order to try and escape a death that will come for us anyways Hello and welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast from myself, Thomas Flight, and from my fellow video essayist, Tom Vanderlinden, from the channel Like Stories of Old, that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. In this episode, we're going to be discussing Denis Villeneuve's Arrival. But before we get into that, I want to mention real quick Nebula. This is a Nebula original podcast. You can listen to this podcast on Nebula, and when you do, you'll get access to episodes a whole week early, and without any ads, you'll also get access to our bonus episodes. We've talked about shows like Netflix's Beef. We've talked about movies like Drive and 2001 A Space Odyssey, I think was another bonus episode that we did, another big sci-fi film that you can build on this discussion with. Information is in the description below for how to sign up for Nebula and enjoy the podcast that way. But for now, let's just get right into the discussion. Tom, this movie, I think, is one that you have uh, seen a lot. Um, This was one of those where you were like, I could probably (laughs) talk about this without rewatching it. (laughs) Um, I think I maybe hadn't seen it since theaters. Uh, uh, that might not be true. If I did, I rewatched it shortly afterwards after mm-hmm. it came out on. But it's been years since I've seen it. Um, but it's a great movie. The, the, I didn't not rewatch it for a specific reason. It just was one of those that um, I hadn't seen a bunch of times. But uh, yeah, I I think it's it's I love Denny's work. Obviously, I think he does really unique sci- science fiction work, especially. Um, Blade yes. Runner 2049 and Dune are some of my favorite sci-fi films, mm-hmm. at least from the modern era. Um, but I think even within his sci-fi work, this one is positioned in kind of a very unique space. Um, so yeah, I'm excited to kind of dive into it and um, mm-hmm. uh, discuss what's going on in this in this in this unique little film. Um, but did, maybe did you can you give read me the story it was based on. No, I haven't read the book. Oh, okay. Um, so I had I I had no familiar no familiarity with it going in um, the first time, or and I haven't read it since. Um, mm-hmm. Did you? Yes. Okay. Um, I think prior I actually, to seeing it. Yeah, okay. I checked it out. I think after the movie was announced, or maybe even after the trailer came out, where I was like, "Oh, this looks really fascinating," but it's gonna be like a few months and it's only a short story which it is based on by uh Ted Cheng. And so I figured, oh maybe I'll check it out beforehand and then I'll get the full experience with the movie and right. In hindsight, I kind of regret it. Uh or I kind of regret reading the short story first because the movie 
I think it's very faithful and it very much captures the essence of the story, but it also, the movie has more of a twist. Um, I'm just going to spoil it right away. I'm going to assume you've seen the movie um, because it, you know, there's this whole thing where you, the movie sets up what feels like backstory to Louise, yeah. like her memories. And then at the end it's revealed, oh, this was actually her future vision right. or, or perception of her own future or at least something that in chronological order takes place like after the central yeah like encounter of the the story and in the novel or in the short story it this kind of becomes i, I don't remember actually if it becomes like explicitly clear at the beginning or from the beginning but the way it is written already reveals like some sort of um some, that there's something off about the temporality of the story because it will be it will have like these grammatically incorrect or at least in a chronological timeline the grammar would be incorrect it would say things like Louise remembers how her daughter will do this on her birthday right. or something like that this yeah kind of like this um intertwinement of like the past and future tense in a way that doesn't quite make sense until you come to understand like oh wait she's actually remembering the future and right um so yeah in that sense the short story kind of spoiled for me what would i think would have been a more interesting twist or i kind of i wished in hindsight i would have been able to experience that twist like everyone else did and then just read the short story afterwards but yeah all that aside i still <laughs> very much enjoyed the movie and i think that this is might be the only movie that I can speak to with some authority because um, I, I once made a video essay about Arrival and then like a few years later I got an email from Denis Villeneuve's wife who was writing a book on the production of yeah. Arrival and there was a little section at the end there which talked about the meaning and the emotion in the movie that book apparently got published already. I think it's called The Art and Science of Arrival or something like that. Um, I actually uh, haven't uh, read it myself, but I got like the segment where I'm mentioned and it says like, I figured it was going to be like a quick sort of accolade thing. Like, you know, everyone loves this movie. This is what this YouTuber had to say right, about right. it. And it would be like this short one sentence thing of where I said like I, how much I loved Arrival but it's really like this extended passage that really uh, talks about how I got the movie right essentially so I was like <laughs> <Nice>. yes <laughs> certified correct interpretation uh, yes exactly <laughs> that was really cool and really like yeah, affirmative that's to, awesome uh, have a an interpretation of mine kind of um, given some uh authors uh, or, or being like confirmed by like the author's yeah. intent to some extent um didn't get to talk to Denis directly unfortunately but uh, i think his wife is as close as a connection as, we <laughs> yeah, as, as so, we're uh, gonna get for now yeah. Denis, if you're out there we'd love to chat <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i think this would be a great opportunity to kind of walk through that essay again and yeah uh, um and also just to uh revisit the movie now uh, it's one of my oldest videos i think and i kind of hate to listen back to it now because it, <laughs> uh, i just hate the way i sound <laughs> but 
I didn't have a bigger point with that. I guess I just wanted to break this, a little bit. But. All that to say, <laughs> yes, yeah, it's it's some cool context for this discussion. And mm -hmm. also, you know, it's this is one of those movies that goes back, like you're saying, to kind of the early days of your channel and, you know, your foray into sort of film mm -hmm. analysis and, and those kinds of things. So it's it's fun to revisit that. Do you feel like, do you feel like there's anything, um, you know, I guess unless people have watched it, maybe you want to like lay a, a groundwork for kind mm -hmm. of what you cover in that video. But my, I guess, follow-up question to that already would be, is there any way in which your perception or interpretation of this movie has shifted or expanded over time since maybe you first made that video or first watched the film? Mm -hmm. I think it's still largely the same. Um, I once made a, or later I made another video on Villeneuve's um, work in general. So I guess it did uh, get more grounded within his larger filmography instead of just being this sort of standalone interpretation. Yeah. Um, especially after Dune, I think he very much established um, some deeper themes about the nature of fear and especially also the relation to fear and um uh life in a sense uh you know in the sense that we are both afraid of death and afraid of life and so we kind of navigate a strange space in between as we um go through life basically and um that uh, to me felt uh, was also very much present in dune um there's that whole famous litany that's the novelist uh, known for with fears to mind killer yeah. and so on. Um, but yeah, I liked, I still think, uh, especially after now, having also seen Blade Runner and Dune, that I still like Arrival for being a more emotional story in some sense. It's, um, it's very much grounded in louise's story and her own experience of the sort of more science science fictiony stuff um which to me makes it a more humanistic or at least it feels like a more humanistic story a more directly humanistic story i think blade runner is also very much about humanism but it's also a little bit you know because that's the world of blade runner it's a little bit bleaker a little bit more um emotionally disconnected um right in a way that i think arrival is um it, it's just a bit warmer i would say i mean it's the rare kind of like uh i don't want to say like optim it's kind of like a, the rare positive optimistic science fiction film uh to mm -hmm. be honest like most of the sci-fi we get is at least in this kind of m movie is kind of bleak or dystopian or um something like that so even from Denise's other work uh i think so that's kind of a a nice change of pace yeah so let's just cover it from the beginning see what the story is about what it has to say uh what or it should means. we maybe start yeah. at the end and <laughs> move in a circular manner <laughs> just kidding <laughs> that's what we normally do actually on this podcast so maybe we should go linear through the non-linear uh story in this case yeah that that's the tricky thing you can't really the interesting thing i will say about this movie something that i think 
a lot of people still don't tend to talk about as much is that the way there's this kind of play on the Khrushchev effect at the beginning of the story where you as we said like the movie opens with these memories or at least what appears to us as memories we have Louise playing with her daughter and it then uh, evolves into this kind of tragic story where her daughter gets ill and she passes away Um, and it then cuts to like the present time or at least uh, what we then think is the present time where she's just going about her day she's a teacher at uh, at the school and so we interpret her character as someone who is in grief who has experienced this great trauma and who is now kind of that's like her character baggage as the story moves forward but then at the end of course it's revealed like oh no all that stuff that you saw in the beginning that's coming to her in the future that's not she has no awareness of all this for the majority of the story but i think what a lot of people at the time at least uh weren't really asking is okay now that we don't now that we no longer have this backstory like what is louise's character then at the beginning of the story like right uh without this grief or without this trauma that we thought defined her uh, or that we thought defined her character um who is she really after realizing that we or that that trauma is all in the future um and that i think wasn't to me at least at the time when i wrote my essay that was kind of my initial starting point like who is this character really at the start of the story and where from where does she evolve um after the aliens arrive um and i think my take on that was kind of that she was someone she was obviously not in grief but uh or at least not that we know of um and there is uh, obviously not a lot of clues as to what her actual backstory may have been because we simply the backstory that we had was taken away from us so it's yeah um kind of left it kind of leaves this empty space there we get like maybe that one line that she says to Jeremy Renner's character about like trust me you can understand communication and still be single and then we we know she did some you know she has top secret clearance and she did some interpretation for the government in the past but uh that's kind of all we get you know besides the other information we just see about her life she lives in a nice house she's a professor somewhere uh you know she's obviously respected in her film she lives in a nice house but she also lives alone she has like this giant almost comically giant (laughs) uh, body pillow that she (laughs) sleeps with at night which yeah i think is that's like not something you put in a movie randomly that's a kind of signifier that she is maybe lacking in connection or lacking in a certain intimacy that she then has to replace with this right uh, kind <laughs> pillow but um yeah my take was kind of that she's just someone who is very much reclusive in a sense or at least emotionally reclusive she kind of lives sheltered in the sense that she doesn't let um anything really come close to her and then that way she also prevents herself from being hurt or being impacted negatively by the world around her um i think it was also very interesting how she very much seems like a creature of habit like very someone who's very much stuck in patterns and who's just um very rigid about her life you can kind of see 
a hint of that when after the aliens come to the planet uh you know there's obviously a lot of upheaval in the society about that but then the next day you know louise is kind of like she calls her mom and she says like oh i'm about the same and then she goes to school right. as if it's like any other day yeah. only to find her classroom completely empty and so that to me suggests that okay there's something that's been greatly affecting everyone else but she is not letting it in like she's not letting it happen yeah and kind of the deeper theory that i used at the time was the uh, the writing uh, of Ernest Becker, who talked about how we as humans are afraid of death or we have an awareness of our own death. And so we naturally, we fear uh, that we eventually have to die. But we also realize that life itself, because life itself is so intrinsically linked to death, you know, to um, to deny death would also mean to shrink away from life. And so instead, you know, we try to, the book is called Denial of Death. So that's the whole deal that we, uh, or so he argues that we tend to deny our mortality by shrinking down from the fullness of life. And I think Louise kind of embodies that rather extreme version yeah. of that, where she's just living this very monotone life. Um and that's also her journey then to kind of open herself up to death and life and mortality right. and tragedy in order to just also experience life. She has to accept death to also get the life and yeah. uh, to just experience life in its full, broad, um, emotional range. And it's just, um, I think that's kind of jumping ahead a little bit what her journey along the way signifies yeah. and um there's some steps along the way but i think that's the main sort of arc that goes on here that's kind of the structural twist too is the the movie ends with death and uh and begin or or it begins with death excuse me and ends with life beginning and the the you kind of when you see the death at the beginning this reversal when you see when you experience that scene at the beginning i think you kind of expect to come back to that point to like uh revisit that at the end but instead by the end you get to the beginning of the thing leading up to that and the significance there is less like this thing that is going to happen it is it is just a fact that we we kind of experience throughout the story and you know, see the beginning, middle, and end spread throughout the story. But then the arc, instead of the event itself, the arc ends up being her acceptance and embrace of that event, that life and death, in spite of her knowledge of that. So yeah, yeah. I th I think that's a, that's a very interesting um, arc to go on, and and it's great to connect that to uh like the denial of death and those kinds of things because this is to some extent a a uh journey that we are faced with you know like we don't have the knowledge of what is going to happen or these specific yes. events but we do have sort of this knowledge of something happening being in the midst of this thing that we don't have control over but we do have a choice of kind of either accepting or 
or attempting to avoid and deny um mm. and so yeah that's that's the end of this film that's where it that's the uh, emotional where the emotional arc concludes now maybe we should talk about the aliens <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i was gonna say the aliens i think form that interesting uh metaphor in that sense for existence itself as something that kind of forces uh louise to um content with her own life and yeah. um the implications of not fully embracing it um and i think in general it's just I, I really love the way the aliens are kind of non-threatening at least they're not like apocalyptic aliens they don't right. they don't seem to go or come to you to to our planet for to do violence or to start a war or to do anything really like i like that their motivation remains somewhat unclear and i think in the book in the novel too it's um never explained why exactly the aliens or the heptapods they're called come to earth uh the movie makes it a little bit more explicit that they are coming to gift the gift of time and um they have that little bit of an explanation where 3,000 years or so from now, um, heptapods will need help and then humans will help them. So now they must, because they kind of right. live non-chronologically, they now come to Earth to help us so that we can later yeah. help them. Uh, none of that is in the short story, but I, th I don't think it necessarily harms the thematic weight um, that they represent. Um, because I, I love the way there's that line when Luis is kind of, explaining to the officer like how the um how the language stuff works or the, the complications of getting to them to understand the question and getting them to understand grammar and so on and just the difficulties of communication that that's when she also lays out the main question that everyone is after and then that she writes on the board i think it was something like what is your purpose on earth which right. is also very much an interesting question that we for humans can ask ourselves yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which yeah. i think that's how this movie so nicely uses these aliens as that metaphor to kind of dive into these existential questions that also pertain to us and that we are also struggling to answer yeah um and that's i think also where the theme of language comes in and plays a very important role where you have uh, a big deal about this movie is, or the big premise of this movie is that Louise is this renowned translator and she is therefore sent into the alien chamber. She has to uh, go up there with the, with like another scientist and a few others. And anyways, the goal is that she has to translate or find a way to communicate with them to figure out what they want. And it's in that process of learning their language that she also finds finds out more about her own existence and about existence in general. So yeah, I, I, I just love the way language plays such an important role in this because uh, going back to like the Ernest Becker stuff about shrinking away from life and shrinking away from the overwhelmingness of just our conception of the universe and what that represents language is also such an important tool to kind of 
categorize and thereby repress our experience of life because you know language is inherently a simplification of what we experience like if you have two chairs for example and they look exactly the same made of exactly the same material you know philosophically speaking they're still 100% like different chairs because you know there's not a single ad atom in the one chair that's also in the other they like right purely physically speaking they're just a hundred percent distinct and yet because we use language to kind of categorize stuff that's how we make things easily to or easy to comprehend and just um easy to navigate and that's you know not a bad thing that's how we make life work for us in the right without just being completely overwhelmed by the sheer chaos that otherwise would flood into our brain um but it, at the same time you know in in that sense language can also be too restrictive and too constraining and that's i think so and so i like the way the heptapods kind of use language as their tool to make their way into louise's her mind and kind of have that be the trigger instead of like anything environmental or anything related to violence to move the plot forward and to also thematically explore um, these more existential questions yeah. um, and besides that it's just very interesting uh, i think we, we talk we talk about this with every science fiction movie we discuss i think but i i always love movies that just really get into the nitty-gritty of something when they're exploring like a subject like language like i want to hear like all the theories on language i want right. to hear those deconstructions <laughs> i want to have louise standing in front of that whiteboard and explain everything in detail like that's the stuff which to me i think then makes movies like these interesting and so that's also one of the things that i really loved about arrival is that it doesn't skip over what is or what could so easily be seen by maybe a studio executive as just the boring exposition right um and i just love the way the knee understood me you know no this is actually like the essence of this whole story and it needs to be addressed um with the proper attention and the proper consideration and uh yeah i think that's what really elevates this movie from being just just another alien uh, alien contact uh story it really gets something which I think it really focuses on something which I think is kind of correct about life, which is your the presuppositions that you bring to something are incredibly important in how you end up interpreting those things. Uh, and that ends up kind of being like a central conflict is Luis is coming from this sort of attempting to approach this translation with this sort of presupposition of peacefulness or cooperation or at least neutrality and that is primarily informing her approach to it how she's interpreting things how how she's thinking about whether or not you know they know exactly what weapon means and and these kinds of things um hmm. and even in just how she approaches the whole process kind of organically with a focus on actually creating some kind of connection so she's getting to the bottom of like in order for us to 
figure out the utility of what we're doing here, we need to first do what language is even trying to do in the first place, which is to facilitate some kind of like connected communication. And she really understands that that, that kind of starts beneath language. Like there's something underneath mm -hmm. language. Um, and we see that with how like she wants to be outside the suit and put her hand on the thing and like, um, you know, and I think that's very, that's very real and very human because that's how we absorb and understand languages sort of through this like organic, you know, you can learn a language in your adulthood by, you know, doing Duolingo or something or like, you know, talking to people, but like the original, our original introduction to language is not in a school. It is with other people like talking to us as as children and you know physically interacting with us and communicating with us um so there's that and then also the thing i said before which is like this presupposition of uh, informing her interpretation and we see that in contrast to the cia and military guys uh who kind of have this presupposition of aggression and hmm. that kind of leading the way in terms of how they how they interpret these kind of the, the ambiguities in uh in communication um and i think yeah. that's something that's like so practical to our everyday lives uh and how we think about the meaning of things even when we're not trying to communicate with a new species <laughs> yeah i think that's interesting especially because the uh i also i always saw the uh louise taking off the suit as also just kind of a symbol of her literally like coming out of her shell and increasingly making herself more vulnerable to life which again would then be represented by the heptapods right. but i also like your uh interpretation of why she would take that first step and um i, I was also thinking that there's, there's something ironic about her um because as you said the military guys they are very much reacting more fearful and more aggressive towards the aliens or again you know to life itself which to them is something scary and maybe capable of destroying them doing death like you know um but in that sense because louise is so much she she has so much shielded herself off from life and from death she also maybe lacks that fear that those other military guys might experience yeah. or might um, have them reacting more panicky than Louise does. Um, so in that sense, there's a kind of maybe even like a childlike naivete about the way she is so comparatively more willing to expose herself to these aliens or to, you know, to get the suit out and to take that first step. But yeah, it's, it's, I think it's just interesting in the way uh, or the way that these aliens, just the kind of the psychological effect that they have on everyone around them. There's this whole subplot that I think wasn't in the story where the, or it wasn't in the short story where the, where there's a group of like rogue soldiers that at some point they get like caught up in these uh, almost like these conspiracy channels and these, um, I don't know, the, the, these kind of uh, 
very panic inducing commentators that then have them in a panic and they feel the need to act violently towards yeah uh, the heptapods and they attempt to blow them up uh which kills one of them but which uh leaves the other one and that's the one who uh ultimately reveals to louise the true meaning of the the language that uh, they've been uh teaching her that's just an interesting dynamic in the way you consider like everyone's uh, distinctive response to the heptapods and how you would equate that if you take them as a metaphor to life, like how certain people um, see the uncertainty of that and see maybe project their own fears onto that and then use that to act cruelty or with cruelty or with violence or um, uh, with just a state of panic instead of a more reasoned um negotiation or conversation maybe would be a better word in the way that louise does because what ends up happening with her is that she ends up having this very nice or you know very nice i'm not sure if that's the <laughs> best way to describe it but this very i don't know kind of just this warm conversation with with existence in this sense uh which might even like be inspired by something like the seventh seal or um movies like that which also have these characters that directly communicate with some kind of representative right. of all the uncertainty about life and all the existential questions that we might have and how do you think so how do you think this translates kind of into philosophically how we think about our own lives because you know a lot of the same questions are there but ultimately, you know, we're not striving to learn a nonlinear language so that we can see the future. Um, this is sort of more of like a symbolic move for, that is kind of representing how we engage with how we think about our lives. Um, but how do you think about that? And then um, I also have something that might be related that I, I, I kind of want to uh, mention or maybe read here. Yeah, I think there's... Because the thing is, at the, at first glance, if you take it at like face value, the gift that Louise receives, you know, she learns the language of the heptapods. She starts having these visions, which we think are memories, but which we later learn are like future memories. Yeah. Um, and then it's revealed to us that the gift that she's been giving or she's been given is the gift of foresight. And, you know, she basically sees, she can see into the future. She sees what her life's going to look like. And that's because of the uh, heptapod language, which, you know, that's the part that's the science fiction part that doesn't right. quite <laughs> really make yeah. sense, you know, but, um, and I think some people have taken like the wrong interpretations there where it's, um, it's it, they feel like the question that this movie raises is more about if you could know the future, would you still want it or something like that? But, um, to me, that sort of what if isn't as interesting. Um, and I feel like that that's also where the, if you go down that road, you quickly end up in that loop where it's like you can, if you can see the future, but you still have the agency to choose a different future, then you did not really see the future. But right. you see, you know, that, that's kind of a loop that I'm 
not really interested in. Same. And I don't think that's the, 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 the kind of question that the movie is about. Um, I think in the end, the, the idea that Louise is, or that Louise can see the future is very much a metaphor for the way in which we can all see our future, basically. Um, and the way, you know, because Louise was so cut off from like life and death that she didn't envision really any, right. um, uh, she didn't really have like any of that meta awareness about her own life, you know, to kind of state it somewhat dramatically. And it's because she embraced or like she came to understand the aliens, the heptapod language, the language of life. She now also comes to understand like, oh, wait, I'm really going to die someday. And, you know, along the way, I'm going to have like all these tragedies and there's going to be hardship and pain and grief but there's also gonna be like love and happiness and joy and there's no you know the whole experience of having a daughter even though she passes um way too early and leaves her with like this big grief and so i think that's the way the movie wants us to look at this gift that louise is given is that you know we all know our life in that same sense that you know you and I, we're both going to be dead someday. And I think along the way, maybe we'll lose like loved ones or we'll lose friends or we'll um, do really nice things. You know, we have really nice experiences. There's going to be uh, joy and pleasure and fun and less fun things. You know, that's going to be, we all have, you know, the path of life is already laid out in like these broad strokes. And so the, I think the more, more sort of message here is to just embrace that in its fullness and not try to shrink down from life yeah. in order to try and escape a death that will come for us anyways. Um, I think that's what the movie is arguing at the end and what I think makes it such a humanistic story that um, relates to everyone's life and the way we can position ourselves against it. I love that. Um, mm. I want to read this thing from a writer named Sophie Strand. Uh, she has a newsletter called Make Me Good Soil. Uh, but I found this randomly this morning. A, a new, another newsletter that I'm subscribed to linked to this one um, and had a little excerpt. And I just clicked on it and uh, read it. And wasn't really thinking much about it. And then I watched this movie and they both kind of resonated with each other. So I kind of wanted to share just a small excerpt from that in this uh, podcast. But the post is called A Cartography of Encounters. Um, and I'm going to just read a small quote from a few different sections. Um, she says, take a piece of paper, a pen, and draw your life. In most instances, we draw a line slicing the paper into a linear horizon, a thrust of causality, segmented by birthdays, achievements, graduations, marriages, illnesses. Our desire for real initiations still often depends on a clear demarcation of before and after, a syntactical structure where one word leads naturally to the next, punctuation cleaves, breath pinned to paper, leaving accumulated meaning in its wake. My life is not straight and does not make sense read left to right. 
Let me ask you again to draw your life, but now with a slight shift in perspective. Do not draw a line. Draw a map of the encounters you have had with animals, insects, birds, weather systems, microbes, microbes that have metaphorically rearranged your matter. Draw a constellation of these encounters. What shape does your life take on when it is no longer articulated by the grammar of human progress? But I think she does a beautiful job of, this has nothing to do with Arrival. I'm sure Mm -hmm. she's probably seen the movie, but Hmm. I think she does a beautiful job of articulating how that language has, our human language has instilled this like sense of linearity uh, to how we think about our lives. And I think part of what you're talking about, part of that embrace of life to some extent has to do with like uh, embracing life outside of that sort of linear like sense of time, because Mm -hmm. it's not, that's how we often conceive of our lives when we sort of like present it as a narrative to other people, but that's not really how we experience it in memory or in the present moment. And the the reality of how our life unfolds in experience is much more complicated and messy, at least in how it feels to us personally yeah, from yeah. our own perspective. Um, and so I think there's kind of this like, even though you, you can't learn a, an alien language that lets you see the future, you can open yourself up emotionally to a sort of experience of life that is much more... Uh, like non-linear in a sense um in mm-hmm. in how you sort of think about the way your life fits together as an experience um or the way your life is sort of mutually interconnected to other people and things in the world um and that like that position of perspective is like opens you up to sort of like a richness of experience that you might not get if you're just thinking about like simple linear causality. But also I think what comes with that is like, you have to kind of open yourself up to something else you mentioned, which is like sort of this inevitability of pain and suffering and death and things like that. And Mm -hmm. uh, you can't, you can't sort of look at your life from the top down perspective without having to look at the, the, these, you know, horrifying parts of it that we don't, we often don't want to look at. Um, You can't look at your own life from that perspective and not look at those things. And so in order to, to like see your life from a certain perspective, you have to be willing to accept these, these things like death and suffering that we don't want to, uh, that we often don't want to accept. Um, And I think that's what we're seeing at the end. That's what we're seeing at the end where she is, seeing this thing and, and, uh, you know, kind of choosing to engage with this life and open herself up to this life, even though she, she sort of knows it's going to end in this, like in this tragedy and in this separation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a very nice, uh, nicely written, uh, piece that you read there and very accurate with regards to arrival too, I think. Um, I think also just to kind of maybe rephrase what you said in my own understanding is that yeah, language also kind of functions here as a, or at least when we sort of abuse language, it becomes this 
thing that sort of definitively tries to encapsulate something that perhaps should not be encapsulated with that right. kind of rigidness. Um, whether it's trying to like apply some kind of rigid linearity to our existence instead of like a more heptapod-like circle-ish uh, shape. Or, you know, as you said, by kind of trying to look down at the whole of our lives and have it try to have it make sense in some way that it becomes almost mathematical. Um, I'm also thinking of a line here from uh, Dune, which um, I think was said by one of the Fremen in the movie, uh, where one of the characters says, like, uh, life is not a mystery to be solved, it's a reality to be experienced. Right. And um, Arrival also kind of touches on that by means of language. Um, I'm not sure exactly how explicit it was in the movie, but I, there's this quote from the short story that uh, I found really interesting. Uh, this is something that, that Chang had to say about it. Um, I'm just going to read it in full. Uh, it's about the way that uh, language also has this kind of... It's not just something that categorizes and labels, but it's also something that has a performative quality. Um, and so in relation to that, that Cheng, he wrote, um, he mentions the speech act theory. Um, anyways, he says, according to speech act theory, statements like you're under arrest, I christen this vessel, or I promise, were all performative. A speaker could perform the action only by uttering the words. For such acts, knowing what would be said didn't change anything. Everyone at the wedding anticipated the words, I now pronounce you husband and wife. But until the minister actually said them, the ceremony didn't count. With performative languages, saying equaled doing. And this is something that I think also very much comes back in Arrival when people ask, like, that question of, you know, if you know the future, is it still worth doing? And, or would you change anything? And the question, or as I said, like, the question isn't really, like, would you change anything, but kind of, would you do it knowing full well what is going to happen? And right. Louise answers with that affirmative yes. And I think that's precisely because she recognizes, you know, knowing what is to come isn't enough. You know, it has to be performed to some extent in order to become real. Um, and that's, I think, the arrival is sort of the ultimate embodiment of that, but it comes back in a lot of, in like tiny little ways in uh, a lot of other film films that I uh, found really interesting to notice, especially after having seen Arrival and then revisiting some of his other, other works. Um, there's another moment in Dune, not to get into that movie too much, but uh, where at the beginning, you know, the Atreides, they hold these, they hold this big ceremony before they get like, um, before Arrakis is assigned to them. I'm not sure exactly mm -hmm. what exactly happens, but uh, before that, Paul also says to his mother, like, why do we have to do it if everyone already knows what's going to happen? And that's when Jessica of his, uh, or his mother also says, like, well, it's performative, you know, it has to, it, it, you know, it's ceremony. It, there's something in life or some aspects to life that you have to do despite knowing what will happen in order to kind of realize them. And I think that's kind of the main point that um, 
arrival makes here also on the use of language or the role of language in positioning ourselves to life in general. Um, yeah. Not sure if that's made sense, but no, it does. Okay. <laughs> I think, I think it's interesting too, that you, you, you know, you talked about, um, using language almost in like a mathematical sense. And we see kind of the antithesis to Luis's sort of acceptance of the experience of life is uh the scientist played by jeremy renner i'm forgetting his name ian's uh ian's sort of rejection of that we kind of like it's not very explicitly laid out but there's we sort of find out that there was an, a moment where louise they have this kid and then she reveals to ian what is going to happen that she knows that she's going to die of cancer in the future and or of this rare disease and Ian, this is too much for Ian and he ends up leaving. And the reason yeah. that Luis says he left is because he uh, like says she made the wrong choice essentially. So where we see her accepting this experience in spite of the outcome, you know, he's rejecting it saying, you know, and, and I think it's interesting that, it's the science guy who is doing the rejecting. And I don't think this is like an anti-science statement mm -hmm. from this movie, you know, but I think it is this articulation of this idea that science is not this ultimate answer to how we uh, like engage with life. You know, it is this like, it is a language that we are using for yeah. our own purposes, but it's not, it's not like the ultimate language of life in in this specific sense yeah i think louise depends as much on the science as ian does right because they make yes. different choices in how to then let it inform their own decision making which uh, yeah. i think is interesting so yeah i definitely agree that this movie is anything but a argument against science i think in fact it very much promotes like the way of science compared to like the way of the military yes. in, the, in this particular uh, context. But um, yeah, I think in general, it very much promotes also the more the kind of deeper qualities that science stands for the sort of reasoned, um, reasoned approach to uncertainties and kind of breaking problems down into little pieces and then uh, just kind of, feeling your way through it instead of making these hasty judgments and then acting uh, out of other interests or whatever you know yeah yeah it's also worth mentioning by the way that the death of the daughter happens very differently in the short story than it does in the movie uh because in the movie i get why they made the change but it's i think it's interesting to kind of uh talk about anyways um in the movie she dies of this unstoppable unpreventable disease but in this short story she dies in a i think it was like a rock climbing accident so something that in theory right. you could then prevent um yeah. which i thought was interesting because it adds that extra element of she of louise's embrace of life as it is even though she mm -hmm. could in theory have like uh the option to significantly alter it. Um, but I understand why the movie didn't go for that because I, as I said before, I don't think the movie wanted the discussion to be about 
oh, if you know your kid is going to die right, in yeah. a rock climbing accident, would you then prevent it or not? And it would kind of lead to these hypothetical scenarios that have less relevance to more general questions that we all uh, that we all have to face instead of um, becoming just this, yeah, uh, this more simplistic discussion on Oh, if you could change one thing about your life, would you do it? Or right, <laughs> or or just like I don't know. It manages to present the sort of time paradox, time travel thing without uh, getting too mired in that or feeling like uh, like it's getting into cliche territory there. Because I feel like that ground has been so tread. Um, you yeah. know, it it. I think the key there is it stays very firmly inside her subjective experience. And it's much more about this, like her experience of it as it's unfolding than this sense of like, you know, I don't know, questions about time itself um, and how it works. It's more about our experience of these things from inside them. While we're in footnotes and and addendums, Mm -hmm. uh, I just want to mention that I love the way the ship's, take off every time i uh oh, yeah. i see this it's so it's such a beautiful like subversion of sci-fi tropes and kind of what you expect i think like there's they've been sitting here and floating here and you just expect them to like like fly into the air or uh you know like snap out of existence or something but they just sort of like drift up and swirl into uh it swirl mm. into a different dimension and kind of disappear. <laughs> and um, I think it's it's a beautiful piece of sci-fi imagery that's that's very original. I love the whole design of it. Uh, the way also the sh- ships have these kind of rough but very... It's the same surface all over, and it's, but yeah. it's this very like naturalistic texture, it seems. Um, the only thing that I always can't help but chuckle at a little bit is when... They send out that little mini pod just for Louise so she can be <laughs> taxied up into the real thing. Um, but yeah, I can uh, I can forgive yeah. the, the little uh, shortcuts that they needed before. <laughs> I was also wondering just more talking about the movie on that more technical or like story structure level. What what did you think about the that sort of midpoint section where the movie suddenly goes? into montage mode and we get the voiceover from Ian and it um, it just the pace suddenly seems to change uh, very much yeah. and also the, the, the perspective and just the, the type of storytelling just um, yeah it just has this kind of there's this sort of twist in tone and matter of presentation that I thought was very interesting and um, I was curious what you did, did you find it uh like disjointed or did you find it uh uh just what what do you think about it i don't i I don't mind it too much i think it's done Mm -hmm. pretty well uh you know i'm not sure exactly how else you need to jump forward in time there at some point and i'm not really sure how else you would um you know pull that off uh necessarily but unless you were going to make this like a you know two and a half hour epic or something like that but that that's one of the things i kind of admire about this movie is like it stays contained it's not try it's not really trying to do much more than um 
than what it is. I don't know. I, you know, I think you could have, you could have stayed more naturalistically within the process and maybe shown that unfold a little bit more. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't mind the, the, the montage too much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, either I like the way it kind of, it allows the movie to do more exposition while also yeah. uh, doing it at a higher pace and keeping audiences engaged. Um, exposition is, is not necessarily bad. Just do it good. Yeah. <laughs> Just do good exposition. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's why I wanted to point it out because it feels like the kind of thing that storytellers would be afraid of doing when you have right. like this whole very grounded, very almost quiet story set up and then to at the midpoint suddenly go into like this wholly different way of storytelling. Uh, I think that's very, uh, it is subversive in a way and therefore might be something that uh, a lot of storytellers shy away from, but I think it can, it's for, for me, it's like one of those great examples of where knowing where to break the rules, so to say, um, because yeah, I think it just it it, it works yeah. very good or very well in the in this movie. Top marks all around. Great performances too from everybody. Uh, I love Forrest Whitaker in this. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, uh, yeah, everybody's great. Amy Adams is is great. So, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of small like Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner are are doing great, but there's a lot of smaller roles like the Michael Stahlberg, the CIA agent, um, Mm -hmm. as well. I think he's great. Uh, I love that little scene where they're at that table and (laughs) he starts talking and, and, uh, Luis is just like, do I have to talk to him? (laughs) It's fun. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Where would you rank this among, uh, Neuve's movies? Um, Ooh, that's tough. Uh, I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's tough. (laughs) I think I would put it Blade Runner 2049 is the top for me, which I'm not, I'm not necessarily asserting that's the best movie. That's just my favorite. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think like the first Dune is really good, but I think philosophically on its own this movie is more interesting than the first dune the dune one and two together might ultimately i think be more interesting um it's interesting because dune is based on like the first part of a story and still had to cut out like a whole bunch whereas arrival just was smart enough to think maybe like a short story and then was able to expand on some areas yeah um so yeah maybe it might be the smarter move to just pick short stories to adapt into movies, especially yeah. if they're as well written as uh, the ones from uh, Tai Cheng. Where do you put it? Um, I don't know. I uh, pretty high at least, uh, but I also have like I recognize this movie is very good, and I think it's very thematically rich and cohesive and. Uh, very clear in what it has to say. Um, But I also have a huge soft spot for Prisoners. Um, Also for Blade Runner. Um, So I'm guessing top three, I'd say. Um, I don't really have... I I normally don't really care about rankings, but uh, 
I wasn't uh, super serious when I asked you. Any recommendations uh, for maybe other sci-fi or films that kind of get into this territory? Um, um, you know, I'm I'm thinking like the, the the things that come to my mind would be maybe some Tarkovsky. Like if people wanted to branch out from here and get more into that territory of like weird subjective time bending stuff, you could watch like Solaris or Stalker maybe. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I wasn't sure if you had any other. Um, yeah, that's obvious. I mean, I'm guessing if you've seen Arrival, you've also already seen Blade Runner 2049. Right. I think uh, maybe one of Denis Villeneuve's first movies, I'm blanking on the name right now, but it's the black and white um, movie about a school shooter. Oh, um, poly- Polytechnique. Yes, I think that one is also worth revisiting if you look at especially if you look at it through the lens of uh the rest of Villeneuve's uh filmography I think there's it's a more even smaller and far more contained story but it does you know if you kind of read between the lines there's a lot of those themes about um embracing life and in spite of suffering and um just not letting fear take over and define the whole of your life and existence. And that's something that in some way or another comes back in uh, most of Villeneuve's movies. But I think in that one, it did so in also in an especially like tragic setting, but that it also like the, the, the tragedy of the setting also, I think, heightened the, the sort of hope that was found at the end of it. Um, so yeah, I think that would be uh, an interesting watch if you uh, have also seen Arrival. Great. Thanks so much for uh, watching or listening to this episode. If you're listening to this and you don't know yet, there is a video version available now. Uh, you can find it on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at cinema of meaning, or you can watch it on Nebula, nebula.tv slash watch cinema of meaning. The audio versions are still in the same place again check out that nebula subscription with nebula you don't just get access to this podcast you also get access to our videos bonus content from both of us at class tom made there's a bunch of stuff on there so check that out nebula.tv slash cinema of meaning to sign up you'll get a discount with that code we appreciate watching and your support if you want to get more involved in the community you can also join our discord tell us what you thought of arrival or Denny Villeneuve's work as a whole, which is your favorite, where would you place this one? Uh, You can find information about how to join the Discord in the description. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks so much for listening.